This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, welcome to Redefining Success, the show where we speak to passionate people from various fields about their careers and lives, what makes them tick and how they define success. I'm Darshan Johan. The Storybook is an event space for storybook-themed activities and events. It was launched in 2018 by Jinisha Wan, whose teenage dream was to create a space where pages of storybooks could come alive and the limits of your imagination could be challenged. So joining me on today's show is Jinisha Wan. She's the founder of The Storybook. Welcome to the show, Jinisha. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing good as well. Very excited to talk to you about this. But perhaps you can start by... Um, kicking off this conversation by telling me a bit about the storybook. What is it exactly? It's a long story, but um, the short version is the storybook was started to inculcate love of stories and storybooks into young and old. And uh, we have evolved a lot in the past uh, five years. We started as an event space, as Mm -hmm. you mentioned just now. Um, But then we started doing storytelling on our own. And that storytelling uh, events became very popular and then in 2020, we also launched our Storybook Academy just uh, right after the pandemic. Uh, and the Academy teaches children uh, and also some adults as well uh, in terms of role play classes and acting classes uh, and also narrating classes as well. Right. So there's three things I caught on there. It started off with just an event space, then um, evolved into you guys telling your own, sto- uh, telling stories on your own as well. And then um, now there's an academy. Perhaps you can tell me a little bit about um, each of these phases. Um, but starting off with why did you, or when did you launch um, the storybook and why exactly? What was the light bulb moment? Okay, it wasn't really a light bulb moment okay. because like, as you mentioned, I had this dream when I was a, a teenager. Okay. I, I love reading. I love uh, storybooks a lot. Uh, so what actually was the trigger was, uh, because I'm, I'm also running another company. I run, I, I run a PR company. Mm-hmm. And midway through the, that journey, uh, my dad actually asked me to go back to take over, go back to Ipoh to take over his business in Ipoh. So I did. I, I put the PR company on a back burner. I went back to Ipoh. And uh, I was there for a year, but it didn't work out because my dad and I had a big fight. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and in a in a fit of anger, I I drove off and I drove all the way back from Ipoh to to KL. <laughs> and during that journey, I passed by this plaza. It was Plaza Arcadia, and it's near my home. Mm-hmm. And I I saw a lot of empty shop units. Then I said, "Okay, the, the heck with it. I'm I'm just going to start this this storybook that's always in my head. Uh, now, you know, I'm just going." I, I just went in, I saw an empty unit, I called up the agent and said, okay, I'm going to put a deposit now for this place. And it just came in that spur of the moment. Because I was always thinking, it's now or never, like I've been waiting for ages to do this. But I always put it as like, oh, okay, that can wait. So I said, now is the time, let's just do it. Uh, and that was how it began in 2018. So you, like you said, you know, you, you in a fit of anger, you, you left. Uh, you came back to KL and then you said, okay, I'm going to do this. There are some you know, empty lots here which I can use. What was this? Because it originally it was an event space, right? So right. how did it function in its uh, conception? Okay, so initially my vision for it was, it was like something like a museum, kind of like ah. for storybooks. When you walk in and the, the door of that, the door to this place is like a book cover. So when you walk in, you can see lots of books, like a bookshop. And then also... Um, 
you could see the you could see a, a, a screen, you know, like in museums when you can see a movie a movie screen where you can see books, uh, stories based on books being played out and audio books being read out. So it's basically you're surrounded by books and mm. talking, moving books. So that was a dream. So I tried to do that. I, I partnered with a, a bookshop to to have that bookshop thingy there. Uh, and then I also sold like some bakery stuff, ice cream stuff there. Um, so but, it was like an interactive library yeah, kind of thing? Yes. And right. and then I actually hired storytellers, uh, external storytellers to come and, you know, tell stories to the kids. But uh, when I did that, I find that it was, uh, it was, they were quite, Passive and I mean it, it was it was kind of boring because they were just reading from the book and then the children just just uh, just listen to it and then they leave you know there was right. no interaction it was to me it was boring because I put myself in the shoes of a child and I think if I'm a child I'm like I'm not enjoying this I'm probably just listening and I I leave <laughs> so I started thinking okay how can I make it more interesting and because I came from a little bit of uh, in school school time I was in drama and arts and all those. Right. So I said, okay, let's me inject some of these elements into it and let me try to, you know, get my team to, to do our own storytelling and we, we play it out like a play. And we asked the children to volunteer. And um, yeah, that worked out. And partially, I would give one credit to uh, KL Shakespeare Group because I attended one of their events. <laughs> and then I realised that they when they asked children to volunteer, the children does volunteer. In, in, previously, I thought children, children in Malaysia are all very shy. But they're not. You know, here they are actually, they do volunteer. So I saw how they do it. Uh, and that inspired me to say, okay, let's give it a try. Ask the kids to come out on the spot, volunteer to be the characters in the stories. Right. And so there was, we started doing that like a few months later after the storyboard was started. Uh, surprisingly, it became very, very popular to such an extent that uh, I was so surprised and amazed that when we had our Halloween event in 2018, <laughs> if we had to run five rounds of it, five rounds all sold out. People want to sit on the floor. They said, please let us in, please admit us. We, we want to sit on the floor. It was crazy, you know. So I, I think that we probably hit the right button there. That's you fantastic, know? you know, how how that idea, you know, came about, um, how it evolved and, and became something more exciting. And then now it has, your, you know, the storybook is even bigger. You all have something called, like you mentioned, um, the Storybook Academy. What exactly is this academy? How did that idea come about? So the academy was also from a parent, some parents actually. Okay. They, yeah, they, they came to it because they, their children attended our events regularly, every week, almost every week. And then they asked us, why don't you have classes for our kids to learn to do this properly. Mm-hmm. So that that was that caused me thinking, but I was always thinking, do I want to do this? Like am I <laughs> like are we trainers? You know? So uh but because the pan- when the pandemic came, you know, uh, I was thinking, okay, let's yeah, we, we need to have something more consistent for the children. So again, it was an experiment. A lot of it was experiments. And we experimented <laughs> with many methods and then and, and everything. So we came quite far, and and I I would say the one of the good thing is uh, we have very strong collaborators. Pe- these collaborators come to us. People like Paradigm Mall, uh, Velocity Mall. Um, uh, they they say we we offer our place to you, you know, to you to perform, uh, get your kids to perform here. So I say okay, let's. We just we don't want to just train them. Mm-hmm. We want them to give them a public platform where they can go on the public platform and perform in public. I think this is one of the things we are very different because we do this quite often. Right. You know, we perform publicly. Uh, a lot of the other schools, drama schools, and so on, I, I, you don't see them performing publicly. They probably perform to just their own parents and so on. Right. So we have been doing that since twenty twenty. You know, uh, in Slamir Velocity Mall, Paradigm Mall, 
uh, and then Kuesh Theatre, PJ Pack, you know, so we've been doing that. So would you say that right now you are essentially or you have evolved to become a, a drama school, so to speak? It, it, it is uh, not exactly a drama school. Right. It's, I wouldn't call it a drama school because drama school is really just, uh, we, we still anchor on one very important thing, which is all the things that we, all the plays that we perform is based on storybooks. And right. we want the children to remember the story. So we even reward the children with the, the books after right. the performance. So they, we want them to read the book actually and... Uh, so we are not, we have, we are partially that, but not 100% that. So we are a mixture of this and that, you know. But the key differentiation and the anchor is the storybook. As the, as the name implies, right? right, the book, the storybook. We want them to read storybooks. That is absolutely yeah. fantastic. So, you know, is that, I'm wondering what is, you know, what was the driving factor for you to start this company? what What's the company's mission and what, why is it so important to you? All right. So I have a very big dream uh, and mm-hmm. when people hear it, it's like, wow. It's like, you know, I, I, I call it, we want to, tr- our mission is to transform an entire generation. It's not wow. just a, a group in Malaysia, you know, right. an entire generation to love stories and storybooks again. Because I find that most children now, they do not read storybooks. Mm-hmm. They are still so engrossed with their, uh, their handphones, you know, and, videos and so on. They don't read books. And, and if they, they don't read, imagination dies. Creativity dies because they are not no longer triggered by all this. You know, when how are we, how is our imagination and creativity uh, inspired? It's mostly from stories. You know, we listen to stories, we hear stories, we read about it, and then we can be, we can imagine stories. Uh, this is also one of the thing about me. I, I think I was born this way because when I was a child, I was like telling stories when I was six years old and my, my dad used to record it. And I tell my own version of stories. I'm very imaginative. So my parents always said, too imaginative. Overly, <laughs> overly imaginative. We probably, just like now when we were walking down the aisle, you know, towards this room, I would have re- imagined a storyline to it. Right. Already. You know, so that was, that's how storylines come to me. Yes. Very, so it's good and bad. It's overly imaginative. Uh, but, why this imagination is so necessary, this creativity is so necessary for the young generation now is because they are so used to memorizing, When, especially in school nowadays, they pass exams just by memorizing things. They don't, um, they, they, they just connect sentences without meaning. Uh, and that's why I find that um, imagination and creativity is so good. And this is one of the key um, differentiation with Walt Disney and you know Steve Jobs, you know, how they sell it what they sell so well, right, is also because they are very good storytellers. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they tell the story very well. Uh, and I want to make, how, how I want to play a small part, like I said, a small part to inculcate this again. You know, like I said, this vision of transforming an entire generation, probably I won't fulfill it in my lifetime, but I hope someone else will continue to carry on the torch just like, you know, the other big brands pre- previously, you know, the, how they, they started off something, but, you know, I, but this was where it all began. Absolutely. Um, Janisha, how do you define success? Okay, when I was young, it was, uh, there was the de- definition of success was very different because mm-hmm. when I was uh, young, it was always about climbing the corporate ladder, sitting in the big office corner room, getting a fat paycheck, <laughs> you know, having all the luxuries of life, right. etc. So um, as I grow older, that changed. And especially, it especially changed when I was working in this uh, NGO in Bangkok. I worked I I work in this NGO in Bangkok for three years. And I live in the slums. Actually, that, right. that how the journey came about is I, sur- I sold my, I gave away a big, very good paying job. I sold my car, sold everything. And then I went to Bangkok just to, 
I wanted to experience it, but I was in for a shot because I didn't know that it was that that bad, right? <laughs> so I, I had the, but it gave me a reality check about right. what's important in life, you know. So what work were you doing with this NGO? Uh, I was editor. I was trans. I was con- I was translating things from uh, not not really translating. I was editing English materials because they had right. translated a lot of Bangkok uh, Thai materials into right. uh, English, but it was broken English. So I I was helping them to wrap it up nicely. Yeah. So that was the work, and and also yeah. Then uh, I also gave uh, free tuition to to students etc. But that was uh, mm. that was some of the things I was doing. But it was just when I experienced it, my my parents thought I was crazy when I went there. Right. <laughs> so it's like why why do you want to do that? Uh, but that that really gave me grounded me. Why in did a, you want to do that? That at that time it was for the experience. I, it was it's like like I said a fantasy of sorts. You know, All like right. you thought because everybody wanted to do something like you know give back to the world. But you didn't know that how much it actually entails, right? When you mm-hmm. until you reach that stage, so, wow! You know you I, you know imagine living on. I at, at that time I remember I was getting paid less than an intern's pay here in Malaysia. You know, so I. Imagine I have a five-figure salary before that, right? And I gave that up. I went to do this, get this, do this thing. I, I, I almost gave up actually. I, for the first few months, I had this culture shock. I said, "Why am I doing this?" Mm-hmm. But after a while, I said, "Okay, I must, I must continue and see how it, this thing goes." As I go along, I begin to do it very well, and I saw the impact. So I said, "My definition of success is leaving an impact on people's lives." I mean, very cliche again. <laughs> Living impact on people's lives because I saw how it transformed people's lives right. when you give something to them. So the storybook now is actually doing that. We are trying to leave an impact on people's lives and to make it a lasting impact. So especially for children, you do not know what kind of impact you leave on them because when they grow up, they remember what we have done in their lives and, not, and this they carry this impact for the rest of their lives. So Absolutely. we want to leave this very good impact on them. And especially the one from the PJ Pack, which you will probably talk to me later, where we had a performance last Sunday at PJ Pack, and some of the parents actually wrote to us and said, I mean, they gave us feedback after that. Uh, Thank you for leaving such a good impact on my child's life. You know, some and some of the children even drew cards and they wrote, uh, they mm. they sang a song, uh, wrote cards to and I said thank you for this and that. So I think it wasn't like so much a professional drama teaching them, but really giving them the experience. You know that. You know something I wish I had when I was a kid, right? So Absolutely. someone gave me the experience. I I want to dive a little bit into that that period, that journey of, of transformation for you because you started um your career in banking and finance, mm. um and you know from from my understanding, you you come from uh, you could correct me if I'm wrong from a family that emphasizes you to go down that route, which is why you said they they asked if you're out of your mind if you and you wanted to go and work for an NGO. Um, and you know, an, an Asian family, right? Get a job, um, get a good good salaries, um, and, and so on and so forth. So, how did you go from that, you know, banking and finance, to what you're pursuing right now? Um, talk to me about th- that that evolution. Okay, so so basically, the banking and finance was not my option. It was not my choice. <laughs> <laughs> my parents' choice. Yeah, and, right. and I think for many young people these days, that's why when I interview young people, I I ask them about this as well. Mm-hmm. So um. That was my and and also another thing was there was no other option then because, uh, the courses during my time was very limited so right. there was not like you know it was only either IT computer science or economics and finance so okay I hate numbers actually I really hate numbers <laughs> I still, what did you wanted want to do if you had 
you know, know, if your parents didn't compel you or if you were sort of free to chase your dreams at that time, what was it? You wouldn't believe what I wanted to do because it, it will shock you. <laughs> <laughs> so my ambition when I was kid, okay, again, very grandiose and fantasy type of, of ambition. I wanted to be an astronaut. I wow. wanted to be a spy. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to be a pilot, a firewoman. I want to do things that I said nobody has done. I mean, right. many, very few people do. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do, like, a bit like Michelle Yeoh's thinking, you know, when people think that uh, you pe- girls can't do this kind of thing, you know, it's like, I just want to do it just, just to show them that they're wrong, you know. Right. So, I, of course, I, it was all those like, fantasies, right? I did I did apply for the astronaut program, when, the, the one, the Malaysian one, years ago, but I never got it, of course. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. Okay, so you, you wanted to do all these things. Your parents said, no, um, you know, Janisha, you need to take something a little bit more conventional, a little bit with a bit more security, I'm guessing, stability. Um, you can Iron rice bowl. Yes, <laughs> exactly, right? Bread and butter and all of that. Yeah. Um, so then you, you went on and, and did that. How, how was that? How was the journey uh, doing the, banking? Yeah, I wasn't... It, it, didn't, it didn't really suck, but that it, was, I just, it was just normal. I would call right. it like a, a straight line. You don't go. You don't go up. You don't go down. It's just a straight line. Mm-hmm. So what made me trigger me to come out of banking was the dot com uh, thing. The dot com came about, and I wanted to go to dot com because com- banking was very competitive then. You know, it was there were banks were merging. So mm-hmm. I was thinking, okay, the dot com thing is coming. So let's jump into the dot com thing. And I went to a dot com company. Uh, there was, and then I had uh, a few years of working with a dot com, which is actually under MOL at that time. Uh, and then I went to this NGO, and then I came back, uh, and then I worked in another IT company again. So, uh, so I, I've always been sales. I was always heading sales and marketing. And right. then I never thought of starting my own business and doing what I'm doing. It was never. It was very, very back of the mind, far, far away. Never. And how I became an entrepreneur also was actually during a job interview. Uh-huh. <laughs> I went for a job interview, okay. and someone asked me, "Why are you not starting your own company? You know how to do everything. You know you should start your own company." <laughs> you know, and, and and then surprisingly, okay, like I said, all the stars align, right? So I I got that, and 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 then I was thinking, yeah, why didn't I start my own company? I went back to my car. There was a magazine next to on my seat, and it was a story about Vera Wang. You know, the people who know about Vera Wang is she's the uh, the designer, the bridal gowns, very popular, like Jimmy Choo shoes, and she said about. She said something that no matter how many, how creative she is, how you, and how good she is at her job, it was never her name on it because she was always working for somebody else. So mm. I was thinking, I, I write a lot of articles. At the time, I was writing for my company. I, I write a lot. I do all this, but it was never my name on it. So I took a leap. Of, I mean, it was a long, very long story. It was not immediate leap of faith, but short story, leap, a leap of faith. Uh, and my ex-bosses and current bosses, Dan, also supported that decision. And they became my first client, and that was how I started my entrepreneur journey in the PR side. And uh, seven years later, only we started the story. All right. So yeah. the so it's it's one of those the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah. Yes. Um, let's go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Jinny Xiao Wan. She's the founder of the Storybook. After the break, I ask her about some of the challenges she's faced running this company. Keep it here on Redefining Success, BFM eighty nine point nine. Welcome back to Redefining Success. I'm Dashran Johan and on the show with me today is Jinisha Wan. She's the founder of The Storybook. Um, so Jinisha, um, I want to, you know, circle back to something you brought up before the break. You talked about, you know, how your career evolved. Um, you know, like you said, like most Asian 
families um, of a certain generation. Um, they had, for, you know, and, and they had their reasons for thinking that way. You know, they wanted their kids to do conventional jobs, jobs that would could guarantee a certain paycheck, rice bowl issues. Um, you know, think more realistic and and all of that. Um, now you're, you know, like, but you you've always rebelled against that idea to some extent. You've pushed, and then now you've you've become an entrepreneur, and not just that. Um, even like you know the storybook is a company that isn't very conventional in that sense it's not a very like straightforward 100% you can make money kind of thing which we'll discuss a little bit later but how did how do your parents feel about what you're doing today when you discuss with them you talked about how you fought with your dad when he wanted you to take over his business and all of that uh, what do they feel about what you're doing now they are actually very uh, they, su- they are supportive, but they are still skeptical. Right. Even to this day, they ask me, why are you doing this? You know, they kept <laughs> asking me, why are you doing this? Because um, most people think that when, when you start a business, you start a business to make money. Mm. Why are you starting a business like without the money in the forefront, you know? Mm-hmm. So they, yeah, they got very, very, uh, yeah, they, they're not very, and then they said, is, this is like hard labour, like, they look at what I'm doing, they say, wow, you have to do this and that, like, so much work, you know, so, <laughs> it's like hard labour, I mean, our customers, if you're listening in, you know, you you, you saw me, like, running like a mad chicken every time, you know, Saturday, <laughs> right, it's like, like, why am I doing this, right, uh, yeah, that's, uh, uh, yeah, and, and, so there was something about, um, you asked about how my career changed and even like what I studied, right? Like what economics and finance wasn't my first choice. Mm. Uh, in, in school also, I had a, there's a lot of drama there. I mean, the, the story about how I was a, like a zero to hero kind of story because... What do you mean? Yeah, because because when I was in, in primary school, standard one and two, I was... I was so stupid. So that, that I was I was the second last in the entire school, you know? I was right. like that dumb, you know? And I don't know what happened to me. Suddenly something, a light bulb came on. And then standard three onwards, I became better in my grades. And then when I was standard five, I was a top student. I was actually the top student for mm. until I was in my form five. So you can imagine my parents' horror when they, they, they see me doing this, right? <laughs> yeah. Because that was... But that that journey also helped me to look at children differently because right. sometimes we judge kids when they were like, how come you, you're not learning? How come you're not competing so well? And my parents were very worried. So why, why are you so stupid, right? But it's just, it's just like some people take the, the different passage, like right. Einstein took a different passage, you know, when he, he was also labelled as stupid right, by a lot of people, right? But just that we... we cons- then I realised because I consume knowledge differently. Mm. I consume by observing. I don't look. I don't memorize. I I observe and then I I can replicate. That's right. how I learn. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've been doing um the storybook for some time now. Um, you know, a couple few years. What are some of the challenges you faced running the storybook? Uh, the initial challenges when we first started, there was always this thing about you know uh, the first thing is when people come in and they say, huh. Uh, you're not library. Then like, I thought we can just read books for free. And then and then another and then other people. Who, I remember there's one lady who came in very brazen. She just came into my place. She looked looked up and down, and then she said, "Can I make money, man?" No, precisely. <laughs> she asked this, and oh I was just. God. She didn't say anything else, but just that one sentence, and it stuck with me. That sentence that she said. I imagine it definitely would stick with you, right? So you you are something. You're trying something new. You started this this company. Um, you have this big. You have these big dreams of trying to cultivate reading. Um, the, the culture of reading among young people. Someone walks in. They look around. And they say, "It hey, can make money or not?" 
you yeah. know what went through your mind at that point uh Disappointed, but I, I mean disappointed, but at the same time, dismay. I I don't know how to express mm. it, but you know, at the same time, on one hand, they wanted it to be a library free. Then how do I make money, man? <laughs> it's like, it's like, how do I make money if you expect me to be a library? And then you ask, can I make money, man? Right? So so those were the, the initial challenges. But we have now, thank God, we passed that stage. Because mm-hmm. after the, I told you, we sell out. We started selling out. People were willing to pay. For, because we were offering things that no, not many people or well, I would say even none do what we do like this. Uh, so we don't have this this uh, do, do I have to pay for I do pay for it. They don't nobody asks us this anymore. Um, now the next challenge that we we do and we still get sometimes asked this question is because uh, now the next challenge is manpower and scaling. So mm. we talk about the uh, finding manpower nowadays is not easy because we have to find people with good English or good communication skills. And now most most people can't speak good English. I don't know. I, you know, the schools are not producing this type of uh, talent. Right. And the second thing is uh, scaling because how to clone many versions of myself, you know, replicate myself. Uh, and it's a very tall order because I can do many things at once, right? <laughs> Everything, everywhere, all at once. But not many people can be like me. So I, I, I realized that I have to like maybe not look for, you know, to have someone like do everything, but portions of it. So this is the new challenge that we have. And and the way now we price ourselves, we're trying to price ourselves not very expensive, but we want to we want to cover costs, but we don't want to like make millions. We are not going to be a millionaire, you know. And some so people say, why you price yourself so cheap? Uh, you can make money. They still ask me right. this question. But I, I told them that I want it to be affordable by the masses because if I just... Aff- if we are just uh, something that only the elite or the rich can afford, right? We are not touching the generation. We want to transform a generation. So how do we do that? We we have to make it affordable. So, and not to say until it is free, but it is able to cover the cost. Probably uh, margins there, but not high margins. Uh, that we can look into later with licensing, you know, like right. franchising, licensing. Yeah. I, I really, really love what you talked about Um you know, about how you want this to reach, um, at the very least, the middle-class masses, right? Because, yeah. and, and it goes in line with, with your mission, it's about changing a generation, you want to cultivate this this reading. You know, we, we are already seeing this this sort of gap between the haves and the have-nots because everybody's, you know, with private schools and the decline of, of um, you know, government schools and, and so on and so forth. I'm really glad you are you're you know trying to make it as affordable as possible. But I have to ask you the question that you know you have been asked um, whether that uncle or auntie that came in and asked can make money. Uh, could you explain your business model a little bit? Um, because people will be curious to know how is it that you know this essentially this storytelling um, business that's trying to cultivate reading among young children. How is that? Uh, how do you make profits? Um, how do you? What is your business model? And would you have been able to do this if you didn't already have, let's say, your your PR company and and other sort of um, businesses and whatnot in the works already? So, in if uh, the PR side, the PR company actually um, supported. I would, I would mm. say supported the first initial year mm-hmm. a lot with the existing infrastructure. Uh, so because it's something very new, right? So when it's something very new, of course there's a lot more work. You don't, we can't expect profit. 
uh, we just practically burn, you know, especially when I was, you know, we were at Plaza Acadia, the rental was very high. Mm. So we were just practically burning cash, like massive, yeah. massive amounts of cash and all the money that we, I earned from <laughs> the PR side. Uh, now our business model is we have two types of business mo- uh, two types of revenue streams mm-hmm. one is from parents directly means the children they send their kids to our events or their uh, classes the, when, when we run our events it's not just attended by kids it's it's a family affair so right. parents also pay so it's like cinema you know so right, they come right, they buy right. tickets uh, like you know they go and watch something you know so that that one and then the other one is the academy where the children come so we we will we have like a, a intake for uh six months you know, and then they come in and then that's the other revenue stream the academy revenue stream the event revenue stream and then we have one more which is normally we don't talk about it much the corporate side so we do get paid by schools international schools mm-hmm. uh, and uh, sometimes bookshops like Book Access ah. uh, and they hire us they hire our services and then there are a lot more you know the others uh, who when they, whenever they have a program that they want to fill in something and they hire us as to do it so that's the three types of revenue streams that we we get now, and the next revenue stream I hope to get is the licensing revenue stream. Right. You know, so that one we hope will help to scale the thing and give us another revenue stream. Absolutely. Yeah. So in the you know like you said when when you started you know you although you're the founder you have to do a lot of the groundwork. You, you probably still do a lot of the groundwork, running around here and there, and then you know juggling between your PR company and you know, this current company where your PR company had to fund a lot of the things. Um, how are things right now? Um, have things sort of calmed down a little bit for you since it's been about uh, four years since you first launched it? Yeah, it has actually. Uh, so one of the good things is we are... St- I, I want to celebrate this thing that we are still alive, you know. Actually, we have, we should have died. <laughs> because many companies... I mean, look at us, right? I mean, you, most people think we will have died. But we are still around, you know. We are still around because the way... the uh, Another reason why we we are still around is because I'm very cost-conscious. Mm. So I, I, I keep my cost very low. Uh, how I do that is also... That's another part of it, which I can talk about it later. But uh, So it has been good. So actually, after last year, we made a profit... We make decent profit, I would say. I I always elaborate how much, but it's quite decent. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. But the first two years was just burn, burn, (laughs) (laughs) burning. (laughs) And then we hit pandemic after that. After two years was uh, 2018, right? So 2020 was pandemic. So we were, was like just slow burn. Right. (laughs) Slow burning. (laughs) And last year, we had profit. Uh, I, I... it should be okay this year as well. I I hope you know. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So we we are making money now. You know, previously was uh yeah not but I I think this is normal for most businesses. Nobody expect you know first year business. Wow, just made yeah. it perfect. I I would want that kind of business as well. <laughs> <laughs> You've been doing this for about four or five years. Um, mm. what has been some of the proudest moments, um, running the storybook so far? Okay, there are many, many things that I would say is a proud moment. There's so many, so many. So every milestone that we have, I would say is a proud moment because uh, like, just now I mentioned the, 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 the fact that we have come this journey uh, so far. Every, every, time, every, every time I look back at the photos or the, of all the, the things that we have done, the events, it's like, wow, I can't imagine <laughs> we have done all this. We, can you imagine if we run 60 events in a year? You know, that was, that's so 
tough, right? And then how did we do it? I was like, people ask me, how did you do it? I said, I also don't know how I did it. It's just, and I always say, like, like Dory, right? Just keep swimming, swimming, swimming. <laughs> just keep swimming, right? Just go, right? So every time I look back at the, 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 the proudest moment is you look at the faces of the children. Because sometimes I have to say there are moments, there are high and low moments. There are very, there are moments where I, where, where high is like, yes, just do it, go, rah, rah, rah. Then there are moments where I say, ah, just no one, no more, no more, give it up. It's like having children, right? When you want to have kids, when you are, when you are pregnant, ah, yes, I'm gonna have a kid. <laughs> then after you give birth, no more, I don't have to do this anymore. You know, so it's, it's, it's the same roller coaster, right, for me as well. You know, so. But every time I get back that adrenaline rush or that, you know, that boost, right, is when Saturdays, that's where the kids come. And when they come to the classes and the events, you look at their faces and you, and you look at the faces after they, before they leave. Mm-hmm. They are so happy. And the fact that you have made them so happy, you're like, okay, it's worth right. it. It's worth it. I've done something, you know, okay. Although it's like, I, uh, <laughs> like for example, when we did the PJ Pack event, I went back that night and I, I, I practically, I told people, I, I practically melted on the floor. I just, I couldn't <laughs> even pick myself up. I'm so tired, right? Talk to me a little bit more about the PJ Pack event because, it, it, you know, you, I, you know, you put on a show at PJ Pack to a sold out PJ Pack, all child cast. Yeah. How did that come about? What was it like? Uh, right. So we have been doing this public performance thing, like I mentioned just now. So we did last year at Kuesh. So this mm-hmm. time, we wanted to do it at PJ Pack. And we had four shows, uh, Lion King, Jungle Book, Pinocchio, and Alice in Wonderland. So it was a tall order to manage four shows with very young kids. Can you imagine these kids are some as young as three years wow. old? You know? So they three to four years old. And you know, when this age, they, they haven't even gone to preschool, right? So they, they don't even... You can't really make them sit down nicely and just listen to orders, right? So it was a very, very tough thing. Uh, to So we had, we had this rehearsal since February. And we, we, we actually, our, our classes for these kids, right, are very, very hot. Mm. For especially this age, I, I don't know, because, because they haven't gone to preschool. So right. anyway, um, yeah, so when we were, we practiced and practiced and practiced for since February, and I was not sure that we would get uh, people would buy tickets to watch. <laughs> okay, uh, I was m- myself a little bit doubtful. Will people buy tickets to watch uh, kids this, this age, you know, because they are just children, right? I was so pleasantly amazed that it was a sold out, you know. So so it was really, really fantastic. And yeah. the children, yes, on that day, last Sunday, they 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 did, like, there were some bloopers, but you know they're kids, right? <laughs> right so, yeah. so, so they was like, suddenly they forgot their lies, or they were probably running around, like, like they, they, they forgot they were on the mic and just talking among themselves, you know. So, so they have these kind of things, but everyone is understanding because these are just children. Right. And the fact that we gave them this experience when they are so young, and it was captured, right? I think it was uh, something memorable. For me, that was not so much about, okay, so out was a very good thing, but but the highlight to me wasn't about the so out thing. It was like that we managed to pull it off. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I, I do want to ask you, um, you know, earlier when I asked you um, to define uh, what success is to you, you gave something um, very personal, more subjective in the sense you talked about giving back to society. Um, you talked about how you can, you know, then later throughout the conversation, you talked about how you want to make an impact, you know, transform a generation. With that in mind, how do you measure growth? Because if your idea of success um, or something very empirical, you know, to to make more and more money, um, to see your company just grow uh, revenue-wise. It's easier to calculate growth, I think. Mm. Um, you just look at the bottom line every year, and then you can measure that way. How do you measure growth? 
So if, if in terms of the storybook, mm-hmm. uh, it's actually not that difficult because it's if you see the brand everywhere, it's mm-hmm. a bit like 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 being what Disneyland everywhere right. or KFC everywhere. Uh, we want to see the storybook everywhere. In fact, we get a lot of requests from Penang in Malacca and Johor, but we can't go all the time because yeah, that's why I said unless the licensing thing come into the the picture, we cannot clone ourselves right. and, and be traveling all the time. So we we do see that's a demand. So if we can see this thing being replicated in everywhere, you know, then I think that's where the growth is because, like I said, transforming an entire generation is not a Malaysian generation. Right. We it was a, it's a big vision. We want it to be worldwide. Mm. I mean, that's a big dream. Like I said, it may not be fulfilled in my my lifetime, but then, yeah. I, I wanted something like this that people can remember. Oh, last time, you know, remember I was in, I went to the storybook and this is what I do, right. you know, blah, blah. You know, so like, like, it's like I went to Disneyland and then da, da, da. You know, so, yeah. And if you know the, the story of Disney, it was also that way, you know. He didn't think of it being and what it is today. He just like, just keep swimming. <laughs> and, then, yeah, and then you swim and swim and then you, really you reach that level that you just reach there. Right. <laughs> yeah. Before we wrap this conversation, Janisha, it's been really wonderful chatting with you. What advice would you give someone um, who's listening to this and say, you know, I want to be Janisha one day. I want to launch my own, you know, storybook one day. Like you said, you're hoping for this to be a global movement. Mm. Um, You know, what would you give, advice would you give people who wants to, you know, perhaps launch something of their own and be part of this? Right, so... The one of the good things that I would say, an encouragement I would give to people who say who want to do this is, uh, you have it easier than me because I have to blaze the trail. You know, I have to like really f- climb the mountain, fight all the uh, naysayers. You know, but now if you say I want to do a storybook thing, people say, oh, they won't ask you, are you nuts? You know, they won't they won't <laughs> do this anymore because we the brand is strong. Our right. brand is quite strong. Uh, we are not unknown, so we have we have. The formulas already, we have all the scripts, everything we have, the, the, the programs and the mechanism in place. It's just practically uh, picking up, say, okay, uh, how, what should I do? The steps, A, B, C, D. And that's it. No, you don't have to figure out on your own anymore. So it's the only thing that advice I would say is to give them is um, don't look at it. It's like, don't expect miracles overnight. Like, oh, I started the story about tomorrow. You see, I'm popular. You, know? no, you won't see it that way. Uh, I'm going to make a lot of money. So money is always... Not to say that you won't make money, but you won't as don't expect this to be a money making machine like, like you buy shares and then you hope tomorrow you right. earn lots of yeah. So the same way, but um the the only take back here is that people actually there are people who actually came and asked us about this, and I think they wanted they saw something beyond that money part. Mm-hmm. So and and if you were looking into that, you know, so that's where, uh, I would say come. Talk to me, and we we, we we hope we can together build this big vision of like I said, transforming an entire generation, trans to love stories again. You know, I can just imagine this generation will pass it on to the next generation, and we want it to last. Not 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 just one generation, but many generations to come. Jinisha, thank you so much for joining me today. That was Jinisha Wan. She's the founder of The Storybook. If you missed any part of the conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcast from. I'm Darshan Johan, and this has been Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.